Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Breaking the Game podcast. And joining me as he does, you know, every time is a uh, fellow co-host Austin Carr. How's it going, Austin? Doing good, man. It's a good day. You know, we had a finals closeout game last night. You know, the Lakers won. You know, it makes me happy. So, oh yeah, I know that you woke up a champion this morning, and I woke up still a loser. So, I mean, ah. one of one of us are still. One of us still got going on what we want, right? But um, congratulations to you and your Los Angeles Lakers. This is a big victory. Um, I, I know that you probably couldn't be happier considering the circumstances that surrounded the team basically since the last offseason, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, well, definitely. Well, good definitely deal. excited. Happy, happy to see them win. Um, you know, happy to see LeBron James get that fourth title, fourth finals MVP. You know, I know we've got, we're, we're going to talk about that quite a bit, so I won't go into that too much detail right now, but you know, can't be more excited. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, today is basically just a recap for you watching or listening now or later, right? Um, mm-hmm. we're just going to be recapping game five and six, go over our initial thoughts for both games and kind of from there, probably just be talking about what a lot of people are talking about. You know, what does this win do for, the legacy of certain individuals and guess what Mm -hmm. we're not it's not just going to be lebron james although he will obviously be included and uh you know how does this impact the miami heat if at all so Mm -hmm. um with that being said austin do you want to go ahead and lead us into the game five recap yeah for sure uh game five saw you know a back and forth battle between jimmy butler and lebron james kind of went head to head you know pretty much the whole game and the heat were able to come out on top in game five uh 111 to 98 so actually, you know, the final score wasn't even really that close. Um, I was kind of surprised at that. Jimmy Butler, you know, sold the show. He had 35, 12, and 11. Uh, five steals, one block. Played, I think, all but like 90 seconds in the whole game. Mm-hmm. And um, Duncan Robinson, you know, finally had one of his big three-point shooting games. He hit seven threes. He had 26 points. You know, they had four other players in double figures. Kendrick Nunn showed up again. He's really returned to form these last few games from where he was, you know, all season long. And so that was kind of nice to see him, you know, get back in the swing of things. Um, both teams uh, made 38 field goals. Miami yeah. shot one more shot, shoot one more attempt. Uh, so, you know, from that aspect, it was pretty close. Um, Miami was 21 of 22 from the line. The Lakers were 18 of 21. James had two of those three misses Lakers were plus six on the boards, which has kind of been, you know, a running theme in this series, plus three in steals, plus two in blocks, plus 10 in points in the paint. Miami was plus five in assists, plus two in turnovers and plus two in fouls. Um, Anthony Davis had 28, 12 and three for the Lakers, three steals and three blocks. His defense has been, you know, impeccable most of the playoffs you know he shot 60 percent from the field 40 percent from three and eight of eight from the free throw line up until that point he still has yet to miss a free throw in the finals Mm -hmm. and you know i kind of felt like this was going to be lebron james's statement game on on this series and on this championship when he you know he had 40 points when he started hitting threes in the first half i kind of felt like you know here it goes yeah this is that this is that game where he's going to you know, kind of put his mark on things and cement this cemented in his legacy kind of. Um, but, you know, give credit to Jimmy Butler. Uh, he didn't let him, he didn't let him have that moment in game five. So. Yeah, absolutely. There were, um, you know, just a couple key takeaways for game five that I wanted 
you know, to, to go over, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, Dwight Howard is doing what I call gooning all night, right? Like just being a goon. Right. Uh, should have been ejected in my eyes, especially now that they're ruling flagrant fouls. Like intention has really nothing to do with it anymore. Mm-hmm. Like you could unintentionally draw a flagrant now. Right. And, uh, you know, early in the game, he was kind of hand jousting with Bam Adebayo trying to get under his skin. And uh, you saw, you know, b- before an inbounds, they were kind of like just swatting each other, so like kind of doing the it man routine with each other, right? Mm-hmm. And then we saw, you know, him, he and Jimmy Butler get into it. And then fast forward a few games or a few plays later, you know, he kind of clubbed J- Jimmy right. Butler. And uh, I felt like all he was going to do is just end up hurting somebody, you know, right. coming down the stretch of that game. You know, watching the game and watching it unfold, it felt like it was just a cut and paste of game three. And, uh, you know, we saw Jimmy Butler have another triple-double. You mentioned earlier that Duncan Robinson unlocked his game. He accounted for half of Miami's three-pointers in this game, which is incredible. You know, we're starting to see, you know, um, memes and and Twitter handles circulating about how he's surpassed Klay Thompson as the best catch and shoot player in the NBA. I'm not going to say that he's doing that, but when, when you go over things like, you know, he was half of his team's three pointers, mm-hmm. you know, he hit seven in a, in a finals game. Like that's pretty good. Right. But we've right. seen players kind of uh, say when he hit se- when he seven in a quarter, you know, then we can talk about it or seven oh. and a half. You know? Right. Yeah. But Clay um, Thompson can do some things that I've never seen before. Correct. Yeah, um, I do want to correct myself real quick. I did say the score was one one eleven to ninety eight. It was one eleven to one oh eight. It was. I figured. I thought that was sounded wrong. So I just want oh, to okay. clean, clean that up real quick. My bad. Oh yeah, that was uh, that was a typo on my part. I, All good. I changed All the good. eight. Yeah, wanted to make sure I did. I you know corrected that. So no, I appreciate you doing that. Right. Cool. Um, going down the stretch too, though. You know, Miami in this game five victory, there was only one player that played that was not in double figures. Mm-hmm. And that was Andre Iguodala, who had zero points, but he's in there for a different reason, right? He's right. a defender, strictly mm-hmm. a defender. Yeah. Um, the next point I want to make is that LeBron James had an amazing game, right? And mm-hmm. I, at this point, even at the conclusion of game five and a loss, I don't know how you make the case for anybody else. Um, for finals MVP, right? If the Lakers right. did close it out, you know, obviously mm-hmm. if the Heat were to, you know, g- come into game six and then force a game seven and win, obviously it's Jimmy Butler's, right? But right. Um, I don't think you can award finals MVP to a losing player against LeBron James, who, if you were ever going to do it, he you know, would have been the one. Correct. Yeah. yeah so you can't, can't do that for LeBron no James, <laughs> right? And then the last point that I wanted to make in game six, right? Danny Green, he, Again, we talked about this last night in our post game that we did with a couple guys from off the ball. Um, anybody who's dealing out death threats over a basketball game is right. just a terrible type of way to live, and I don't know how you can kind of do that. But um, It's not anywhere near as important as life and death. It means absolutely nothing in terms of the grand scheme of things, really. Yep. And I just want to say to my buddy Dre checking in for the show, just, hey, what's up, Dre? Appreciate What's going on, man? Support, brother. Appreciate the love and the support. But, um, yeah, Danny Green was 37% from the floor that night. Alex Caruso was 33%. Kyle Kuzma was 30%. Playoff Rondo was 14%. Dwight Howard and Markeith Morris combined for 0 of 3. You know, outside of mm-hmm. LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And then, all of a sudden, you know, KCP is starting to get a little bit more shine than I thought that he was uh, being neglected of. Right. Outside of those three, who do you turn to? And those questions were 
answered, you know, a good bit in the next game, game six, Austin, where we had Goran Dragic return to last mm-hmm. night's victory for the Los Angeles Lakers over the Miami Heat. Goran Dragic did return to play. Um, impressive. Out, it was very impressive considering it was a plantar fascia injury, which a lot of people, including myself, were skeptical that he would come back at all. Yeah, me too. He, even if he wanted to, you know, but um, he did make the return. If anything, if anything, I felt like it would be just like, you know, he came out there for a minute to kind of maybe, you know, pick up his team spirits or something or give him something, you know, to kind of rally around, you know, something like an emotional uplift or something, but not really actually be able to contribute the way he did. Yeah, absolutely. And we mentioned about how up until this point, Frank Vogel has been kind of stubborn with his lineups and adjustments, at least mm-hmm. with his rotations, you know, defensive right. schemes and things like that. He's done a pretty good job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but in lineup-wise and rotation-wise, he hasn't really been kind of, um, you know, he's been reluctant to make any decisions as far as changing his rotations. Right. But I think he finally heard me because I'd been clamoring for mm-hmm. Caruso to be in a starting lineup. And then in game six, the closeout game, he got, he not only starts over Dwight Howard, Howard only plays in like two minutes. He's like right. playing like into the rotation minutes, like mm-hmm. blowout minutes. And I wasn't expecting all of that, but I did think that Caruso should have got the start over Dwight Howard. What did you think about, you know, Vogel adjusting his rotation for this closeout game? Um, well, you know, I was I was surprised uh, to see it, um, but I do think it worked. I think it was a good move. Um, mm-hmm. I think one of the things I'd kind of talked a lot about was how the Lakers had kind of been living behind the three-point line the last few games, and that's not really their game. Mm-hmm. They usually attack the basket. They like to go get going towards the rim, draw a lot of fouls. You know, they made 40% of their points from in the paint, so tops in the league by far. Yeah. And um just with Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis both in there, it kind of clogged things up. I think putting Caruso in there um, really opened up a lane for them to be able to attack. And, you know, we saw it last uh, last night in game six when the Lakers attack and they get going on offense, their defense picks up. The mm-hmm. effort le- just across the board goes up an insane amount. It's crazy to see the difference in how aggressive they are from – were like game five to game six, it seemed like a different team. They just, they swarmed the ball all over the court. And I, I think, you know, the, just the way they started the game with that lineup change, I think it really kind of necessitated all of that. And, and that's kind of, I, I think it was a great move in my opinion. And, um, you know, it really got them going from the, from the opening tip. Yeah. And I, and I agree. It was a great decision. I'm glad that I came up with it. And thank you, Frank, right. for listening to me. Finally. Yeah. I, sh- I forgot. almost forgot to give you your credit for that, man. Great coach. All right. I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to let you forget to give me credit. Well, good. There you go. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Speaking of giving credit, LeBron James was incredible in this closeout game. Mm-hmm. He had 28 points, 11 assists, 10 rebounds, um, one steal, you know, so he's still, even though he's not Anthony Davis on the defensive end right now. He's not mm-hmm. being paid to be Anthony Davis. That's what he's right. there for, right? Mm-hmm. Um, still had a tremendous defensive game. He was 65% from the floor, uh, 13 out of 20 shooting, which, by the way, to help give, like, I need any more reason to validate his finals MVP selection, led the entire, all players in shot attempts, right? So he mm-hmm. was the, the most shot happy, so to speak, um, player on the floor. Even though he was only 20% from the three-point line out of one of five, and then only 25% from the free throw line, one of four. So not really sexy numbers there, but 
He was the guy with the ball in his hands most of the game, whether he was passing or shooting. Anthony Davis chipped in with 19-15 and three, two blocks and a steal. He was 41% from the floor on 17 attempts, making only seven. He was 0 of 3 for deep, and his free throw shooting luck did run out. He was only 71%, 5 of 7 shooting. Austin, it's it's a tragedy whenever you drop from 100% the entire finals to a lowly 71%. I was looking forward to seeing if he'd go all the way without missing a free throw. That would have been interesting. Um, You know, this this game kind of, believe it or not, uh, looked a little bit like Los Angeles had a whole team effort for a change. It wasn't just, you know, LeBron and AD do the heavy lifting and mm-hmm. you know the other guys kind of fill in. It was kind of everybody, you know, brought their A game. You know, you play off Rondo, you know, he's a real thing, whether he wants yep. to admit it or not. And he had 19 <laughs> points last night and he looked yep. like a guy who was ready to be done with the bubble. He looked like he wanted to go home and finish this series out. I don't think they wanted to play again. They didn't want to have a game seven. You know, KCP and Danny Green, two of the mal- more maligned players on this Lakers roster. You know, 17 and 11, respectively. You know, Green hit three threes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, redeemed himself a little bit from the last game. And if yeah. 40% if, from the floor overall. Right. And, you know, what you said about his LeBron shooting numbers, you know, yeah, he was one of five from the three-point line. That means he was 12 of 15 from everywhere else on the field. <laughs> Correct. That's like, that's yeah. incredible. You know, so he was he was locked in. Anthony Davis, I, I haven't hardly seen a better defensive performance in the finals than him the last two games you know the, the numbers don't show it as much maybe as it some other guys but just there were times when tyler hero and other players would were driving down the lane and just his presence there you, you see he almost he just like faked going up for a block and mm-hmm. they completely airballed it completely changed guys mindset in terms of attacking the rim um the lakers ran the shooters off the three-point line all night mm-hmm. and it was just you know an overall overwhelming team defensive performance you know 36 points in the entire first half for miami uh that's crazy you know that's like those utah jazz right whenever they played against the chicago bulls exactly exactly and you know this team this lakers team you can look at this roster up and down and see the holes in it and you can't say it's a stacked roster they've got a lot of big names but dwight howard and and rajon rondo aren't the players that they were you know in the past, Dwight yeah, Howard. Yeah, we talked not, about that last night. You know, nobody right. wanted Dwight Howard. Nobody right. really wanted and him. He's gonna be a. He's gonna be. I'm pretty sure, pretty you know, wanted commodity this offseason. Yeah. Alex like Caruso was a was a G League guy that they had to right. turn to. You know, for, and, for roster and cap space. Right. And he's been terrific all year. You know, we made a comment about this last night about, but I think the majority of the games I remember looking at the box score, he was at the top or near the top and plus minus every game. Even yeah. Games they got starting beat, this game. You know? he yeah. Right. And so, you know, there was a lot of guys that stepped up big. Um, Anthony Davis didn't have his best offensive game, but 15 rebounds, you know, one of the knocks on him is sometimes he doesn't rebound enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what do you, what more do you want? What more can you say about, you know, his performance throughout these playoffs LeBron's performance throughout these playoffs. The one thing I did want to kind of go back a little bit on game five and mention was um, when you said about Danny Green missing that shot. For one, I don't feel LeBron should have put him in that situation to begin with. You know, everybody says he made the right basketball play. I feel like, yeah, he made the right basketball play. If this is a rec league and he's your teammate, you would want him to make that pass instead of going over three or four guys but this mm-hmm. is the nba finals and he's the best player in the world 
And I, personally, I'm riding with LeBron one on four versus a cold Danny Green seven days a week. Yeah. So to begin with, I think LeBron should have taken that shot. You know, maybe he misses it, maybe he doesn't. And, you know, I can't knock him for making that pass. It was the right move. Sure, then, on paper, it was the right, right play. Right. Yeah. And then there's just, you know, they call it hero ball because if you make that shot in that moment, you know, you're a legend. You're a hero for making that shot. And you can't make it if you don't take it. And it's not like LeBron James isn't going to be a legend. I'm not trying to say that. Correct. Yes. You get what I mean. And um, Markeith Morris, I can't believe he doesn't get a little bit more of the blame at the end of the game there. He gets yeah. that offensive rebound and just throws it right out of bounds. Like, what are yeah. you doing? You know, it was there wasn't even anybody around him. And I think the intent was to, I think that he thought that Anthony Davis was going to kind of spin off of the defender. Right. And because I mean, AD does do a lot of that post spin technique right there. Right. So mm-hmm. I thought that's what he was kind of seeing, but I'm, I may be being right. a little bit generous to Morris there. Right. It just, it's incredible to me that you don't even really hear about him. And then you hear in the media that, that Danny Green's getting death threats. Like it's just, it's ridiculous. The whole, the whole thing is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to see, you know, Danny Green come out and hit some shots in game six. You know, it was awesome to see LeBron get, you know, holding both those trophies again, you know, getting mm-hmm. his fourth, uh, finals MVP. I've got all kinds of stats and stuff ready for when we talk about. Yeah. So we will, we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll let you back clean up with that here in a minute, but also want to just for a little bit, not going to take all the attention away from the, the Lakers and LeBron and, and things like that. Um, but before I do that, buddy Robbie checking in and says, I'm happy that Keith got a chip. I always liked him as a wizard. I agree. LeBron need to take the shot, but also a huge green fan and he could have made it for sure. I agree with that. And we've gone over the numbers that nauseum, you know, when he was 30% shooting for the entire finals and 29% shooting of the Western conference finals, it's kind of hard to justify giving him the ball to close out a game. Right. Um, right. I also understand that Frank Vogel should get a little bit of that blame too, because I understand you are putting a lot of faith in your guys. You're probably trying to you know stoke his fire give him some confidence things like that at the same time it's the nba finals it's not sympathy ball right like it's not a time to be sympathetic for a guy like oh okay he's been a x percent three-point shooter for his entire career i'm gonna put him in here in this case right um i didn't think that that was the right decision and i kind of advocated for pulling him out a lot earlier in this game because it was like they were trying to get him like they were intentionally trying to get him going leave him open yep Miami was and, leaving him open for a reason. Exactly. But um, I don't want to beat up, beat up that too much. I want I right. want to give a lot of love on the show as much as I possibly can. But I do for sure. I do feel that LeBron James is the best player in basketball right now. And the best player should take the shot with more games down the line anyway, right? Like mm-hmm. that's what I would have preferred, but I understand on paper that it was the right basketball play. Mm-hmm. All right. So moving on, the the Miami Heat in this performance, Jimmy Butler. He had 12 points, seven and eight, one block. He was 50% shooting from the floor, but he only had 10 attempts. He was 50% shooting from deep, but he only shot twice from there. And he was one of three from the free throw line. Bam Adebayo was actually the best player for the Heat that night. He was 66% shooting from the floor on 10 of 15 shooting. He was five of nine from the line, 55%. Overall, he had 25, 10 and five. Crowder and Robinson both were in double figures, 10 or excuse me, 12 and 10 respectively. So knowing that and looking at the numbers, did it kind of validate what you saw on the floor? Or was there a little bit of contrasting, you know, stats to, 
actual gameplay what you saw um you know from the most part it it did does hang on stupid thing <laughs> sorry no it's all good pages up and the video starts playing of course um of course. you know i feel like the numbers did kind of validate what what you saw you know lakers led in rebounds again straight steals turnovers they got out in the break more they got more points in the paint so you know those were the kinds of things that i thought were that they were going to win and that was going to lead to what would win this series and you said it you know more than once the turnover issue was a big problem for the lakers in this series mm -hmm. and they you know they finally had less turnovers than their teammates so um yeah then their opponents than their opponents than their opponents geez yeah. i know uh, what you meant yeah you know, both teams had four blocks. That's the one that kind of really sticks out to me because it felt like the Lakers were – Anthony Davis, I thought, had four or five blocks by himself just in the first yeah. half, it seemed like. and Those were know, mental blocks, right? Like he right. just like used the force, if you will. To, Pretty much, yeah. yeah. And, you know, one thing that I did notice in this game too is Tyler Hero was kind of nowhere to be found, mm -hmm. at least on the offensive end for Miami, and he's been somebody that's really been, you know – uh, an offensive force for this team kind of throughout the playoffs. Uh, he, like we talked about, he showed no fear mm -hmm. all the, you know, throughout the entire uh, playoffs and Jimmy Butler, obviously taking 12 shots the whole game. He, he was just exhausted. I don't think he had uh, anything left in the tank. Um, I said, I wrote something down about, I think Jimmy, but that picture of him slumped over at the end of game five, like coaches should put that up in locker rooms. And like, that's, that's what, the image of what giving it your all looks like, you know, mm -hmm. he, and he, he showed that I think he belongs as a superstar in the NBA or yeah. at least, at least in the discussion. And, you know, you got to give him credit for what he did in game five to even force a game six. But I mean, he played, I think 45 minutes again last night. And that's just, you know, he's not used to really being the kind of the playmaker and having the ball in his hands all the time. He's always been a good scorer and a good defender, but he hasn't really like been like, the focal point of the offense like yeah. that An initiator and yeah initiator yes and that's mm -hmm. that's you know it takes a lot out of you and that's a lot different way to play than i think you know just being relied on to shut down the guy from the other team or relied on a score you have to kind of do everything and you know so he put his team on his back two different times the two games they won i mean you can't yeah. really give credit to anybody but him <laughs> for those wins so triple doubles in both yeah. in both of those victories and so what i mean what more can you say about it you know it's really hard to say anything else except nice things about him, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, our buddy Robbie, um, he's he's brought up a couple good points. Uh, one, he said, "I won't be, I wouldn't be surprised if Butler was just exhausted carrying the team like he did." I was impressed mm -hmm. by the Heat. I think that we all were. I think that the Heat are kind of the, even though that the Lakers won, I think the Heat walk away a little bit of the darlings of the finals too, because mm -hmm. as the fifth seed, upsetting the first seed in the you know in the eastern conference there they they made it past the boston celtics who i thought were gonna make the finals uh i know that you felt you know similarly than i i, I definitely I did. did yeah so um you know we brought up that jimmy butler only played all but like 90 seconds of the last game and then in the closeout game last night he played 45 minutes so there was mm -hmm. three minutes of rest there so you're talking about in two games worth only sitting out about five minutes in two games. That's insane. Right. Um, especially when you're playing to survive, it's not like you mm -hmm. have a cushion and uh, every move that you make has to essentially be perfect against the best player in the world and another top five talent. Right. It's, 
it's a lot physically and mentally, I could imagine, right? You know, he didn't just put up a triple-double in those games. He also guarded LeBron a lot and, mm-hmm. you know, played tremendous defense in for stretches and just did a lot of everything. It's not like he was out there for 45 minutes as a standstill three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then another point that Robbie brought up, he said, sometimes bringing back a big part uh, I'm assuming you meant at the lineup also throws off chemistry. Drago is one of the best players all playoffs, but just not enough shots for everyone when the Lakers were rebounding like that. Uh, I don't have the the box score in front of me, but it didn't feel like um, Drogic put up a lot of shots. He took um, eight shots. He took eight shots. So you're mm-hmm. talking, you know, two per quarter. That's that's really not a lot. But I do think there's something to what Robbie is saying as far as, you know, it throws off chemistry, right? Because you're talking about how Drogix didn't play in games three through five, right? And then he comes right. back for six, you know, right off of a red hot win mm-hmm. and throws off. And then you look at game three, they lost Drogix and Bam Adebayo, and then they won that game. And then right. Bam comes back the following game, and then they lose. So mm-hmm. I think there's a little bit of correlation, maybe not causation there. But um, maybe there is a little bit of something to that, Austin. How do you? How do you? Um, I I feel like it definitely. It? Um, I think it kind of threw off their rotations at least. I, you know, we had game two where Myers Leonard was starting, and then game six he plays zero minutes and doesn't even get off the bench. And you know, like we said, game three Bam wasn't in there. They get a win. Game four he comes back, and that kind of that you know, us against the world mentality, and you know, let's give the ball to Jimmy Butler and let him take us to the promised land kind of disappeared and you know, they lost. And then game five, somehow he got that back. It was like, he just needed a, a little bit of rest in between or some or whatever. I mean, I know he was probably exhausted and you know, it turned right back to that, you know, give me the ball, watch out and let me take you there. And with Dragic coming back, um, you know, he honestly played better than I expected. I'm sure, you know, I don't have any numbers to back this up or, real memory of it, but I'm sure Dragic had to be a little bit of a defensive liability out there with that foot injury. Yeah. There's no way he was a 100%. Um, yeah. he was 0 for 4 from 3. You know, I think that is a little bit of a byproduct of rust. He hadn't been out there for a while. Um, he was 2 for 8 from the field. He did have 5 rebounds, 2 assists, and a steal. He was plus 2 in the plus minus. He scored 5 points. So it wasn't a terrible outing, but I mean, he was averaging about 20 points or more a game before, before that injury. And, you know, it does change things it could completely have changed the outcome of a couple of these games or or made him taking it to a game seven i think ultimately though you know you can't blame injuries for one and two the lakers regardless of who was healthy and who wasn't had the two best players in this series and nine times out of ten you're gonna win with that so yeah and and let's remind everybody that the lakers were without avery bradley and demarcus cousins so it's not like the lakers granted they had adjusted for that the entire playoffs Mm-hmm. as opposed to you know trying to learn on the fly in the finals right but they were still not technically 100 percent themselves a couple right. of things that um i had for game six austin did you want to add something real quick no go ahead okay um i already mentioned about how i've been clamoring for you know caruso to to get that start and i was mm-hmm. so happy to see that and you mentioned that you know he led the um, box score for both or for the Lakers and, and plus minus. He did that with four point scoring. So what do you have to do to have a plus 20 box score while only scoring four points? 
you know, the defense had to be there, right? Mm-hmm. Had to play great defense, and he was probably in the game with LeBron and AD most of the time that he was in yeah. there. You know, that and he too. beat he topped them by two points, mm-hmm. right? So, right. So pretty pretty impressive. Is and I, when I say top by two points, I'm talking right. about plus minus, not actually right. you know points and going in the hoop. I feel like you know it happened in game one, and it kind of happened again in in game six, where when the starters kind of at least LeBron went out. The, the rest of the team kind of picked it up and kind of ex- extended their lead in both of those games. And that's something that you don't normally see from the Lakers. It's usually like, how can we get by until we can get him back in? Not, you know, all right, LeBron's out. Here we go. And mm-hmm. it's, it was like that kind of more than once in this series. So that was something interesting that I took away from that. And um, one other stat that I have almost forgot to mention that I wanted to definitely wanted to get out there. LeBron James and Anthony Davis. um, Let me actually read it. So I make sure I get it right. Oh, I can't find it. Uh, It was LeBron James and Anthony Davis were the first uh, playoff teammates to average 25 points per game in the finals with over a 60% effective field goal percentage. First time teammates have ever done that in the finals. So I thought that, pretty, thought that was pretty awesome. You know, it showed how efficient they were in the series and mm-hmm. you know how dominant they were. And it surprised me when you told me that uh, LeBron took more shots in the playoffs than anybody else. I was, didn't expect that just because it seemed like every game he was just, you know, like, 13 of 18, 12 of 15, you know, 14 of 20, just so efficient. Like, yeah. Well, usually... I was speaking specifically for game six. Now, oh, I have to go, okay. but yeah, I, I meant just for the closeout game that he oh, led okay. everybody in okay. Okay. and shot attempts Maybe for that. That, makes, game. that probably makes a little bit more sense then. Right. But still, you know, he did have the ball in his hands a lot. And it was impressive how, you know, how efficient him and AD both were in this game. I think one of the big things that people who were trying to say Anthony Davis deserved finals MVP is that he is so efficient and, mm-hmm. you know, just showed LeBron actually was equally just as efficient in this series too. So that was pretty incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that if you looked at games one and two, that's when I was kind of saying I would actually have AD as my finals MVP mm-hmm. because he was, you know, scoring better and more efficiently. He actually was, he only trailed LeBron in points in game two by one point and then game right. two he was up by much more and his mm-hmm. defensive responsibilities are a lot more larger than lebron james but from game three on like you you couldn't make the case for anybody else on the lakers right. obviously and then the only way that you could award jimmy butler is if they won and neither of those things actually happened right no um, they did not yeah so buddy robbie again he's been he's been great you know kind of chiming in through the show really appreciate the support yeah appreciate he said this lot, has man. been a he said this has been a great breakdown i'm excited to talk about it myself tonight and then he also said i was never really a big lebron james fan before this run but i, I really was impressed and happy they did it for kobe i was a huge laker fan back then um i you know I, i've shared my thoughts on this a lot i've never really been a big Kobe fan up until mm-hmm. close to the end. And I'm kind of seeing the same thing with myself with LeBron James. This is the first time that I actually found myself rooting for him. Um, right. And again, I'm not going to get into a big philosophical debate about, you know, what makes a hater and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. I would say that I've been critical of him. Um, I think that that would be a fair assessment, but you know, I don't want to see him fail, you know, and no. I, I, I'm glad that he is four of six and we'll talk about this a little bit more. I do want to kind of, Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit more about game six because I had a couple more points and then yeah, we can get into the, you know, a lot of the, you know, what what 
this actually means for everybody involved, right? Mm -hmm. um, another point I wanted to bring up was that this was an incredible game. It was incredible that it finished as narrowly as it did when you consider yes, at, at one point the Lakers were up by 36. Mm -hmm. They went into the half with the second largest lead in NBA Finals history. And right. the first the first lead, the largest lead, was when the Lakers were on the opposite end of this in the 80s against the Boston Celtics, right? Mm -hmm. Um so I thought that that was interesting. Thirdly, right. we don't need to defend the Heat here, and I've been saying this all along. You know that I know how good they are, right? Um, they made it right. to the finals, like no further explanation needed, right? But mm -hmm. I do think that Jimmy Butler played, you know, so much in this game that he was exhausted. They were dealing with a lot of key injuries, as much as I did just mention Avery Bradley and Demarcus Cousins. Those aren't the biggest contributors to the Lakers as opposed to Drogics and Bam. Those are two key pieces to their success. And then the last point I want to make is that playoff Rondo was excellent. Mm -hmm. You know, he was phenomenal. But outside of him, you know, I mentioned in game five that the he, that the Lakers only had three players 40% or better right. in, in scoring. Well, in this game. If you count Dwight Howard's one for one shooting that he did to, you know, kind of close out the game, they had six players that were above 40%, right? So they doubled right. that. And then you see that lead to victory. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It was a, you know, an impressive performance in the first half for sure. I think the only reason that that uh, final stat line wasn't embarrassing between these two teams is that fourth quarter when, you know, they scored 35 points against Quinn Cook and Jared Dudley. Um, and I've never got the feeling, at least as long as I've known you, that you've been a LeBron hater. So don't worry too much about that. I appreciate um, it. <laughs> I try my best not to, you know, sing his praises too much. Um, I was kind of, you know, for the first 10 or 12 years of his career, I would never say I was a LeBron hater, but I wasn't a fan by any stretch of the imagination. Um, and it definitely changed for me, I think, in 2016 when he came back from 3-1 and beat the, beat the uh, Warriors, you know, incredible performance right then it was kind of i remember when he had that big block and won that game and they won that game um it just like a, it was like a gut feeling like i'm never going to see anything like this again i need to appreciate this while we're watching it and mm -hmm. you know it kind of just changed my whole perspective on things it's like i've from that point on i was kind of like well i can appreciate the fact that michael jordan was probably the best i've ever seen up to now but this guy's just you know he's unreal too he's just as good if not if not better in some ways and you know why can't i appreciate both of them and so that was yeah. just kind of that defining moment for me there um uh the things about that you said about game six the first half it was just incredible i mean at one point they were, they were up 36 points you don't see that in the nba finals <laughs> ever i mean the last yeah. time i think it happened was when jordan did it to the to the uh um utah jazz yeah and it's it's just an uncommon thing to see how much time they were filling on the broadcast with, you know, stuff about, Oh, this is going to be the Lakers 17th title and their fourth championship. I mean, it's very rare that you see a, a closeout game that decidedly over with at that point. So that was interesting as well. Yeah. And, uh, Robbie has been a great guest here on the show all day. He said that he used to be a, a full on hater, you know, obviously being a Wizards fan and he reports on a lot of, you know, um, DC related sports topics. So please go check out his stuff on, on the Hill sports. But um, sure. yeah. And he said that MJ was his favorite. 
was his favorite too. And that started to change with the Warriors, like how you were mentioning too. Mm-hmm. Now, it's to the point now to where if someone tells me that they have LeBron James as their GOAT, and uh, my buddy Chris LeBron of the Off the Ball Network was was with us last night in our post-game analysis, and he said the same thing that I'm going to just start echoing too. You know, if, if he's your GOAT, I have no complaint. Like, I'm not going to argue with you because – it's a lot closer, you know, four and six is a lot better than three and six, right? Mm-hmm. Um, four finals MVPs, first player to ever do that on three different teams. Really four if you evaluate how different those Cleveland Cavalier teams were. Like if if you wanted to dig a little deeper, it was essentially four different teams that he has competed on. Um, it's just phenomenal the amount of accolades that he has, you know, second in playoff points, fourth in playoff mm-hmm. rebounds second in playoff assists, second in playoff um, steals, second all-time in playoff triple-doubles. You know, like, right. he's getting up there in the most finals games ever played. He actually, he's, last night, he broke the re- he, t- he broke the record for most finals games. He was tied with Derek Fisher until last night. <laughs> there you go. Pretty, pretty so, fitting. Yes, absolutely. Um, has played the most finals games, and you would mm-hmm. like to think that he's far from over in that area, too. So he's going to start – you know, leaving margins and a lot of these all time, mm-hmm. you, you know, records that he has, you know, but I still have MJ as, as my goat and mm-hmm. kind of what Stephen A. Smith was saying on first take this morning. I don't know how you were, you know, some of our audience feel about Stephen A. Smith. I don't agree with everything he says, but this morning he was saying, Oh no, what an insult. I have him as the second best player mm-hmm. of all time. You know, so like, much hate, right? So much hate. I hate him so much that I have him over, you know, 99.8%. Johnson and Will <laughs> yeah. Chamberlain and Kareem. Right. And what does it for me are the defensive achievements that, mm-hmm. that MJ had. You know, the, there is something to be said that's something to be said about three-peating twice. Mm-hmm. Um, that just the degree of difficulty to not only do that, but play in a time where you didn't have a lot of free agency movement. You didn't see, and I'm not criticizing player empowerment, but I'm saying that staying in one location and then when there wasn't a lot of movement to his team, really Mm -hmm. like sure. Dennis Rodman, Tony Q coach, Steve Kerr, but you didn't have like your Miami heats forming up due to free agency you didn't have your you know what i mean like and again i'm not trying to criticize i'm just telling you my explanation for why i still have mj as the goat but if you were to tell me and you did that lebron james is your goat i can't argue that and i i have said this you know on social media a lot i'll go ahead and say it again publicly here put it in the ether if lebron james repeats and and it's funny i mentioned this last night and magic johnson on first take was basically saying the same thing that i've been saying if he repeats next season, he's up there with MJ. I'll go as far as to say he will take over as the GOAT in my eyes. If he repeats next year, he will, in fact, be my GOAT. What do you have to say about that, Austin? You know, that's a fair assessment. I, I agree with you 100%. You can't really fault anyone for picking one way or the other. But I do want to put it out there that, you know, much love to Kobe, Kareem, anybody else. It's LeBron mm-hmm. or Jordan. Like I, I don't want to hear any arguments really for anybody else at this point. It's it's really those two to me, and then everybody else. Um, I just think you know a couple. You you mentioned a lot of the stats that I wanted to bring up about LeBron, and it just you know it goes to show how many of them there are that I even have more. You know he he's played in fifty five NBA Finals games, so roughly three quarters of an entire NBA season he's played in the finals. 
or one of in one of the seasons that we had this year basically you yeah know basically I mean? the number of games that they played this year um he's played in the finals 55 games in the finals to compare jordan yeah he didn't ever lose so he and he didn't go to as many but he he played in 35 finals games which is a lot mm-hmm. lebron's been basically in three full seven game series more than jordan played in in the finals um so that just adds to in the fact that it's year 17 and if he slowed down at all it's almost not noticeable yeah. you know maybe he doesn't get up quite as high on those dunks anymore but it's not like he needed to um it's not like he's struggling to get up it's not like he can't get up and down the court yeah he didn't um, need to get as high as he had in the first place really exactly, did exactly. <laughs> right so. you know the, it was great for those photos like that you know alley with him and Dwayne Wade. It was great for, yeah. you know, the magazine covers and stuff. Of course. But he, it's, this is the first time we're getting to see what it looks like when a player does gain all this knowledge and experience and round out their game to this level without losing any of that athletic ability. Yeah. When the mental and physical mesh, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it never really happened. Not like this. No. And in the finals alone, he averages 42 minutes a game, 28.4 points, 10.2 rebounds, 7.8 assists, 1.7 steals and 0.8 blocks. He yeah. shoots 48% from the field and about 35% from threes, a career, you know, 73% free throw shooter. He's played over 2,000 minutes. Wait a close over what he averaged in this finals for the free yeah. throw line there. Uh-huh. Yeah. No, can't do everything. Uh, yeah, can't. You can't really can't. all across the board. You can't. And it's free throws. Like he, he's scored about 1,500 points, 561 rebounds, 430 total assists. He's had almost 100 steals and almost 50 blocks in his career. Believe it or not, in the finals, I, I mean, I guess it makes sense since he has lost more finals than he's won. His plus mm-hmm. minus overall is actually a minus 86. Believe I, that's kind of surprising to me. Um, yeah. But just playoffs overall, um, my big de- de- you know, determining factor between Jordan and LeBron is kind of the overall body of work. Mm-hmm. And it's already pretty close, if not in LeBron's favor. And he's nowhere near being done, I don't think. Yeah, you know, he said, he said he it said, himself last on night. TV, right? I've got a lot of years left, mm-hmm. and I liked seeing him say, "I want my damn respect." You know, excuse my language, but I just <gasps> was quoting what he said. Yeah, and I just think you know it's time for for people to start you know understanding, like you said, we need to appreciate him while he's here because yeah. who do you see doing this and that's coming up or that's you know young in the NBA right now? No one. I I, I can't even begin to fathom that how long it's going to be before something like this happens again. When I was a little kid and my dad told me about those Celtics teams that went to all those finals and how you know uh Bill Russell made it to the finals 11 times and I was like he made it that many times. There's no way that's ever going to happen again. And right. here we are, you know, and now it's, it's real. It's a reality. And yeah. I mean, just in the playoffs overall, he's played in 260 games. That's, you know, 3.2 entire seasons. Yeah. So if you count up all those minutes, plus all the minutes he's played in the regular season, plus he's been in the Olympics, the amount of basketball that this guy has played, the amount of miles that are on his body and to still be doing what he does at this level I mean, he's 35 years old. He's been the best player at his position for at least the last 10 to 15 years. Mm-hmm. And now you're telling me in year 17, he's not only going to switch to point guard, but be arguably the best point guard in the league and lead the league in assists. Like, yeah. That's insane. That's, that's mind-blowing to think that you can go from being, like we said last show, the size of Carl Malone, and you're now the best point guard in the league yeah. at age 35. 
Yeah, you're putting you you put Magic Johnson's mentality in Carl Malone's. Now again, right. Matt, Magic Johnson was a pretty pretty tall cat, right? Like he actually right. filled in at center at one point when you know Kareem was hurt in one of the finals. He actually played center, so he had positional right. size, but he was not built like a freight train, guys. Like right. you know the the way that players worked out in the '80s compared to what they do now, like mm-hmm. the science and, and and healing and the amount of money that LeBron James puts into his body, not just food wise, like. I can compete with a lot of people with the amount of food I put in my body. Right. Mm -hmm. But the amount of stuff that he does to keep his, you know, the longevity, we mentioned, you know, 35 years old, 17th NBA season, you know, all the extra seasons that he's put on this body just by being successful. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's phenomenal. And I am at the point, (laughs) again, I'm at the point to where if you tell me that he's your goat, I'm not going to sit here and argue with you because to me, like it's, 1A is Michael and 1B is LeBron. They're still, I mean, that's where I have them. And if, like I said, if he repeats, I'm going to have that shift a little bit. But uh, again, I'm not taking away from LeBron James for hate. I want to talk about some other players that were involved in here. And just just real quick, uh, we can just do a quick little snapshot how we feel. Um, I want to talk about some players and how and how a ring defines their legacy because you mentioned Definitely. that Le- LeBron wasn't the only um, cat in the in the game that had some some skin, you know, with the mm-hmm. with the victory tonight. Um, I want to start with the Heat though and work my way up to LeBron James. So I want to start with the loot, you know, the 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 I don't even want to call them losers, right? But you know, the the Runner, defeated runners team. up. Yeah, the runner up and work our way up to LeBron James. So what does a ring do in your eyes for Jimmy Butler? Um, I think if he had won a ring in this in this finals specifically, it would have cemented his legacy as a as one of the superstars ever in the NBA. I think superstar is a very um hard to reach title. Um, I think he could still easily get there. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite as strict as to say you have to have a title to be a superstar. But it's pretty yeah. close. I um, mean, look, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, right. John Stock. Exactly. I mean, the list goes on. Can and you on. make it to the I finals drink. with this guy as your best team or as the as your best player? Can you rely on him to win a game for you in that mm-hmm. situation? And Jimmy Butler did it twice against yeah. a much superior talented team with a banged up roster. And if he had taken them and won four games with them you would have to put them that in the level of like the 2011 Mavericks with Dirk and maybe yeah. even the Toronto Raptors with Kawhi. I don't know. I feel like the Detroit the way, Pistons. The Detroit Pistons. Upset, yeah. I feel like as good as Toronto was this year, it kind of dispelled that idea that it was all about Kawhi Leonard, but sure. he did have a great finals, but um, you know, it would be up there with one of the single, you know, Oh six when Dwayne Wade basically, you know, turned that series around by himself and won the yeah. finals, you know, it would be a performance like that. So it would, it would be, kind of a legacy defining thing for him, I think, especially this year. But even with a loss, how do you, how do you feel that we walk away this season and coming into next year, looking at Jimmy Butler? Well, I think I've said it before, but he's been telling everybody since he was in Minnesota, if you do things my way and you listen to me, we'll, we'll, I'll take you where you want to go. You know, if you're willing to work the way I'm willing to work and he's been saying it for a long time and people kind of didn't believe him. And, you know, I think your buddy Chris said last night and I kind of did too, I kind of picked them to be maybe the eighth seed in the East. I didn't think mm-hmm. they'd be anywhere near as good as they were. And he proved me wrong. And I think you saw a lot of people's minds changed, including mine on whether or not Jimmy Butler is that at that level. And I think he 100% is. 
Sure. And I only have, um, considering the rest of the Heat's roster, the, the guys are so young. There's really not a lot of guys on here. You, you could throw in Andre Iguodala, but I don't think a, with the role that he has on this team, that one more ring really sways his view one way or the other. But um, I do want to talk about Eric Spolstra. We did see some pretty poor taste and comments saying that, you know, he was exposed um, in this. But I think a lot of us who were um, unbiased and, and level-headed and, and analyze the game, you know, with, with a level of, you know, intellect and dignity, right? Um, we have, we all have nothing but high praises for Eric Spolstra. Right. What, how do you walk away from this finals going into next year on your views on Eric Spolstra? Uh, they haven't changed, but that's because I've thought Eric Spolstra was about a top three coach for quite a while now. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think you get from the video room to the head coach of the Miami Heat with a guy like Pat Riley, and you don't stay there as long as he has. Mm-hmm. You don't You don't make it outlast LeBron James saying, hey, I don't want this guy to be my coach. That mm-hmm. doesn't happen to really anybody else anywhere else that he's been. That hasn't happened. Yep. You know, Luke Walton, I mean, Luke Walton might be the worst head coach in the NBA, but that's neither here nor there. But Luke Walton David didn't, have Blatt. didn't yeah. have a chance to survive. David Blatt didn't have a chance to survive. Teron Lue won a title with LeBron, and nobody gives him credit for it. You yeah. know, But in Miami, you don't really hear that about Eric Spolstra. It's not like, oh, LeBron. No one really talked about LeBron being the coach of that team. That mm-hmm. kind of started when he went back to Cleveland, I feel like. And he got Eric Spolstra did get exposed. He got exposed as a great coach. Um, I think he put on nice a coaching clinic, if you will, at least in the conference finals against Boston. I'm really high on on Brad Stevens as well. Me too. And he had Brad Stevens' team completely confused on offense. That mm-hmm. zone just shut them down. It exposed a hole that, that obviously I don't think a lot of te- NBA teams really work on, and it's how to beat a zone. And unfortunately, the Lakers are just so big and fast and athletic. It's just, you know, eventually they're going to, they're going to beat that zone. They're just too talented. And it was, it, they were overmatched. They, to me, if you look up and down the roster, Portland has a first team all NBA star in Damian Lillard. Mm-hmm. And they never scared me in terms of beating the Lakers in the second round against um, who they, Houston. They yep. have two all NBA level players, arguably former MVPs, right? Two former MVPs, two of arguably the 10 best players in the NBA. And this small ball lineup that's supposed to give everybody fits, especially the Lakers, because they have a big roster. I was never really worried. They and they completely overwhelmed them in the in the Western Conference Finals. They go up against Denver, who just beat a lot of people's pick to win the title, the Clippers, and you know, right? Two return from or, you know, come back from two three one deficits, and yeah. you know, just don't won't go away. Jamal Murray's having the playoffs, a playoffs to remember, you know, scoring 50 points every other game, it seemed like. And it never bothered, never worried me that they were going to beat the Lakers for a second. After game five, when LeBron had a 40 point game and they still won, I was a little bit worried about the Miami Heat. Mm-hmm. And that's saying something considering they had no Goran Dragic up till that point. Bam wasn't 100%. And this is a team that everybody thought was a year or two away from possibly getting the guys they needed to be at this level. Mm-hmm. So I just think it was a master class in coaching in terms of the whole playoffs as a whole for Eric Spolstra and just the way he was able to, you know, even I feel like steal a couple games in that finals. Yeah, absolutely. And I did, you know, before we had, you know, you graced us with your presence here on the show, Austin, back when I was just flying solo. Mm-hmm. I did a I did a early season, 
you know, kind of who my top three and bottom three coaches were. And I had Eric Spolstra even then in my top three. I, I, I still obviously, um, after this performance, um, think think the world of Eric Spolstra. You know, when you look at, yes, the first season without LeBron, they had to retool their, their lineup, obviously, because, you know, the philosophy with LeBron used to be before this season was that you surround them with a bunch of spot-up shooters. Um, a lot of them are older. You, you know, you get rid of all your assets in order to, to get the team that he wants and keep him happy. So he stays right. Mm -hmm. So when LeBron leaves, it's really hard to win with a bunch of past your prime spot up shooters and no one who can create offense for themselves or others. Right. So, you know, it took a little bit for Miami to get back into the swing of things, but you know, with an old Dwayne Wade coming back from Chicago still and helping them make the, the NBA playoffs and things like that. um, It's just, and, and you saw Josh Richardson kind of get, developed and developed and developed enough to bring in a guy like Jimmy Butler to where Philadelphia can say, yeah, we'll part ways with Jimmy Butler because we have Josh Richardson coming back. Like not only did Miami, you know, evaluate a guy that they really wanted to free agency and did everything they could to get him, but they developed their guys well enough to where other teams can say, if Miami can do that, so can we. You right. know, I, I, I'm not going to come into a free agency ever again and say Miami only signed X player and, and doubt them because if Miami wants you, you got a lot going for you. Um, Miami but, signs the right players for their system better than any other team, any other franchise in the NBA. And that's part of the reason Jimmy Butler didn't work out in Philadelphia and didn't work out in Minnesota. I think he worked out in Philadelphia, but he wasn't happy. Yeah. That's why he left. Uh, well, and, you know, they didn't reports, want to give him what he wanted either. Right. Know? But I think reports have kind of come out too that he, you know, just felt like winning wasn't as important to those guys as it was to him. And mm-hmm. it just, that doesn't really work because if you're not all in on something like that, then someone that's as a psychopath. Yes. Someone that's as crazy about it as Jimmy Butler is going to be really overbearing if you're not you know, kind of in that cut from that same mold and mm-hmm. I think it shows with who they draft. It shows with who they trade for. You know, everybody was up, you know, excited that they got Andre Iguodala, but Jay Crowder turned out to be the best part of that of that trade. And yeah. you know, he, he constantly viewed, in double figures. He every was game. viewed as a as a throw in kind yeah. of. And Miami Salary probably father. said, if we can get this guy, we'll go to the finals. You know, everybody said that they should have tried to add in Danilo Gallinari, and it probably would have helped, and it would have been great, but. You know they they got a lot already in that trade. Yeah. More who would than I you not, realized? Who would you not play over Danilo Gallinari? Like maybe yeah. Kelly Olynyk, but you lose a lot of the right. things that Kelly brings in, right? Or I, I would almost maybe. say at, at at some point it would maybe be Andre Iguodala. Uh, I know he's yeah. a great defender, but you can't really defend you know defend him playing over any of those other guys when he's not really an offensive threat. Yeah, no, you're 100% right. So now um, the runner up, uh, those were the only two players that I really felt like were, or player and coach that I really felt like were necessary when we're talking about legacy. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said, Igladala has done so much and he really wasn't that big of a role there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was never really an all NBA level guy. You know, mm-hmm. he's basically just like, and I say basically, right? I, I think I think Goran Dragic could have probably benefited a lot in terms of his overall, you know, story if he had won it, won a ring this year. 
And I just don't feel like he's done enough, you know, resume wise. Like he's one of those guys that I think that he benefits like maybe off of a contract for another team. You know what I mean? But I don't think that I'm talking like, you know, Hall of Fame. In terms of all time. Okay. Yeah. Like all time greats and things like that. Um, Yeah. He's definitely a step below that. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, not that there's anything wrong with this role, right? But Andre Iguodala is like in that Bruce Bowen, Ron Artest, Tayshawn Print. You know right. what I mean? Like he, he's in that kind of a, a mold which you need to win, right? But he's that's that's his ceiling to me when you talk about just like overall greatness. But I want to transition now to the Los Angeles Lakers because they have a few caps in here other than, you know, the biggest one um, on the court right now. I want to start with... Uh, Dwight Howard because he didn't play much in game six, right? We we talk about greatness. Uh, I don't think that, I think that there's a lot of guys who watch the NBA now who didn't get to see prime Dwight Howard, who did in in his own right, when he was in Orlando as a member of the magic did carry a team to the NBA finals against the Los Angeles Lakers once Mm -hmm. upon a time. And granted there were good players on that squad, not anybody who was like all NBA level worthy or anything like that. Stan Van Gundy was a coach and kind of ahead of his time with the four out one in, um, mm-hmm. you know, everybody shoots from, from three. Uh, what do you think a, a ring does for Dwight Howard? Does it change whether or not he's hall of fame or, or does it just kind of, does it already include him in the hall of fame and kind of boost his standing among some of the all time greats at his position? Um, I think he was, Believe it or not, in, in a lot of people's minds, I think he was very borderline to make the Hall of Fame without a ring. But I think mm-hmm. it definitely, I personally feel he should have already been a Hall of Famer or will be a Hall of Famer based on his resume yeah, before this. But yeah. this definitely, um, you know, just kind of cements his place in the Hall of Fame. Let's be honest, the Basketball Hall of Fame is by far the easiest one to get into in all the major sports. It really is. And it's not the NBA Hall of Fame. It's the Basketball Hall of Fame. Correct. And so, you know, there's a lot of guys that get in for, you know, their whole body of work from the time they were in high school on up and coaches and whatever else. So it's a little bit different than Olympic play, things like that too. Yeah, And it's a little bit different than you know, like the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame where they take two or three guys every year and sometimes they don't take any. So mm-hmm. I, I think he would have been in regardless. That being said, you know, him getting a ring on top of like you what you said about his time in Orlando. And I mean, people forget that he when he went to the Lakers the first time, mm-hmm. it was a disaster. He had so many expectations and it was just, it completely like torpedoed his career for a while Mm -hmm. had those back injuries and people didn't really understand that how much of his athleticism it robbed i mean he was every bit of an athletic freak as lebron james is and Mm -hmm. i mean just a monster and back injuries are awful you know you can't do anything like there's times where you know guys talk about you can't even get up off the couch with a back spasm and you know you sometimes hear people oh he had a a a cramp in his back or a, a back spasm get up and play like you can't move it's, it's <laughs> right uh, you know not only that you're out there banging in the post with the biggest strongest guys in the nba and you know, what do you not, use the box out with what part of your body right, you, your yeah. your lower back and your and, you know and it's it's a devastating injury for a big man like that and then he went to houston where he wasn't a good fit with james harden and it kind of became a james harden and him you know one or the other kind of camp thing. And they were always yeah. going to keep James Harden. Okay, and, of course. and, 
honestly, he needed to be humbled, and he was. I mean, he spent time in Charlotte, didn't he? Yeah, like, and Washington. And Washington. He went, he kind of, you know, bounced around the league. Nobody seemed to want him for very long. And then all of a sudden, he pops back up on the Lakers last minute because he, I think. Because nobody went, wanted to sign him. Right. And DeMarcus Cousins had had that injury, and he was just kind of like a, a filler in big guy. And all of a sudden, now he's a great teammate. He's a glue guy. He's uh, he's shooting threes. Right. And doing a little bit of everything. He's the cheerleader on the sidelines. He went from being one of the worst teammates, I think, in the NBA to one of the best. Yeah. Almost overnight. And it probably not overnight. It's just he wasn't really in the spotlight for us to really hear about it. Sure. Washington and Charlotte. Yeah. Towards the bottom of the league. Kind Kind of the bottom there. So it was... You know, him getting a ring does a lot for the overall story of his career, I think. I think it definitely cements his his place in the Hall of Fame. But for me personally, I think he should have been there anyway. Yeah, and I think that he he had done enough prior to the to this ring as well. I just think that it goes from now him being like eventually into the Hall of Fame to probably being a first ballot. Cause you think the 2000s like he when he came in in 04 from like 04 to like 2010 11 like he was like the center like you had to vote positionally and he always took home the all first team center like you you mentioned his athleticism you know multiple defensive player of the years multiple yeah multiple all-stars rebounding champ you know season after season mm-hmm. you know even in washington and charlotte he was still a tremendous rebounder and you know coming into la just out of nowhere he decides that hey i'm gonna be a three-point shooter now right mm-hmm. and um kind of like what we saw with carmelo anthony in the same season i think it did take a little bit of humbling because i could imagine that going from thinking that you're the the best player at your position and rightfully so at one mm-hmm. point to now all of a sudden like a team may not want you because of your personality. Like that's got to be tough because fairly quickly too. Yeah. Cause when you're Absolutely. wanted for your, when you're wanted for your personality and, and your dominance and things like that. And then all of a sudden you feel like you're acting and behaving the same way. But now all of a sudden nobody wants you for that same thing. Like that's got to be tough to deal with. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, you could argue that, you know, Kobe Bryant, um, the one knock against him is that he uh, talking about psychopaths as far as, you know, wanting to win so much, um, mm-hmm. you know, did he break Dwight Howard? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like kind of felt like he did because when you hear Pau Gasol talk about how hard it was to play with with Kobe Bryant and then Shaquille O'Neal, probably one of the best, well, you know, is one of the best centers of all time. He and Kobe can't work it out because Kobe, you know, thought and that he was the best player in the world. It's, you know, Kobe Bryant went out in the media and said Shaq was fat and he wished he would have worked out. You know, I mean, you can't like and Shaq's one of the few guys that can really probably take that and and really just let it slide right off his back. Mm -hmm. You know, there's videos of him, of Kobe just destroying Andrew Bynum in practices and, you know, guarding him in the post and kind of embarrassing him, you know, out, you know, outworking him out, you know, bodying up with him and making him look you know, kind of weak considering he's so much bigger than him. Correct. And it's just a lot of these guys, you don't think about the fact that these guys kind come into a, a profession where they're on the world stage in front of everyone at a, such a young age, they don't develop 
maturity the same way most people do mm. whether or not it, they have to grow up quicker or they get coddled i don't know really which it is it's kind of a, it can be different and why howard did like. come out of high school too right so you know beyond that what 25 or 6 year old guy likes being embarrassed in front of people ever anywhere you know that age i was a pretty pretty proud guy i was i you know i wasn't the finished product you see before you, but yeah. you know, I wasn't able to probably handle some criticism like that in front of my peers, let alone, you know, hear about it in the news on national television. And like It'd I be said, storyline and every time you take the floor. Exactly. So, mm -hmm. you know, the mental aspect of that, of what Kobe does to some guys or what Jordan probably did to some guys. Oh, did it works. Guys, yes. it, it definitely produces results but it also can alienate a lot of people. And I think that's one of the ways where it's different now versus even when Kobe played is there's not a whole lot of guys that are like that in the NBA. Now it's more of a, you know, build up your teammates kind of positive reinforcement kind of, kind of league seems like, you know, I don't think we're going to hear about teammates punching each other in the face and practice, you know, not at that level of, you know, Bobby Portis, Bobby Portis and, uh, what's right. you know, maybe two, two you know role players but i mean i don't think you're going to be hearing much about lebron james or kevin durant or Giannis punching a teammate in the face you know i so. wouldn't want to get hit in the face by either of those cats but yeah so i agree with you on dwight howard i want to get into you know two you know a couple other guys right uh, we already talked about playoff rondo mm -hmm. um, only the second player in nba history i already forgot the gentleman who did it beforehand but i think um you know to win with the the lakers and the celtics the first gentleman nice. won it when he was with the uh when it was the minneapolis, minneapolis lakers. lakers right so it, quite quite a long time since we've seen because of the rivalry right like mm -hmm. you know to to start in his career in boston to to not even be considered a part of a big three you know because of his age you know right. and, but you know, led the league in assists almost year after year after year. He was up there in steals year after year after year. Um, wasn't really ever a three-point shooter until uh, like two or three seasons ago. Mm -hmm. And um, in the regular season, it's been awful. In the playoffs, it's been pretty pretty darn good. And uh, you know, one of the best basketball minds that I think that we have in our game today that doesn't get appreciated because of his attitude. Right? This mm -hmm. is another Dwight Howard type thing. Um, comes to LA a situation where he's kind of ran out of places that want him and uh you know Magic Johnson said on get up this morning or, or on first take this morning that um you know everyone thought he was crazy for bringing in another ball handler saying that you need someone to kind of help take pressure off of LeBron James to where he doesn't have to do that as much mm -hmm. uh, he was knocked because you know he's a locker room uh problem you know even though that he did play on teams with DeMarcus Cousins and teams with Anthony Davis. Um, you know, he was in a very heated rivalry against LeBron James, and we all know Le that LeBron can kind of hold a grudge to some level of degree, right? Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, winning a ring here in Los Angeles, where does that put uh, Rajon Rondo in your eyes as far as the legacy? Um, I love Rajon Rondo as a player, and I agree with everything that you said about a lot of this being, you know, in terms of his attitude, why he bounced around the way he did. Um, going back to his days in Boston, uh, I think it's kind of another thing that people kind of forget about, like with Dwight Howard, just how good he was mm -hmm. at times. Rajon Rondo is the, to me, other than Chris Paul, the epitome of what a floor general is supposed to be. 
in mm-hmm. the NBA. Chris Paul's probably the only one that I can think of current player wise in the last, you know, in this era that that is above him in that aspect. Because look how good he was when he had the big three in, in Boston with him. Look at the numbers he put up. I mean, yeah. he had so many 20, 15, 20 assist games, crazy 20, 20 triple doubles and stuff, just outrageous numbers at that time, especially for a point guard. I think guards rebound a lot more in the NBA today than they used to, partially because there's less big guys on the floor, partially because there's more threes. So there's a lot longer, more long rebounds on the floor, a lot more. Right. Big guys are out, you know, spreading the floor, shooting threes. So rebounding is a, is a lot different than it used to be. You know, I think Russell Westbrook was kind of the, the ushered in the new era of these, you know, double digit rebounding guards. Yeah. Because when you have your point guard rebound the ball, right. Mm -hmm it does a lot for you in, in transition, right? Because you have your best passer with more options available out in front of them. So whenever you give the ball to, you know, a guy like a Rajon Rondo, you get him in the open floor, the defense isn't set and you have more options for him to be able to find a, a bucket basically. Right. Right. So, so whether or not he's a hall of famer, it's, it's tough. His career average in the regular season is only 10.3 points per game, mm-hmm. but he averages eight assists. That's just almost a double, double, about five rebounds and almost two steals a game. So yeah. he does a little bit of everything really, really well. Um, but looking at his playoff numbers, his career playoff average is only up three points, but he had years in the playoffs where he averaged 15, 16, 17 points a game, mm-hmm. you know, 14, 16.9 every year almost was higher than his regular season average for his career. And he had two years where he averaged 12 assists a game in the playoffs he, he had two years where he averaged nine rebounds a game in the playoffs. He shows up when the lights are the brightest. And I think that's kind of what everybody really wants from anyone that they mm-hmm. like, that they follow, that's on their team, that they're a fan of, whatever. You know, nobody wants to defend a guy that's a regular season monster and then just wilts in the playoffs. I mean, you hear a lot of bad stuff about James Harden. People dog him a lot and look at the numbers he puts up. And you're going to start hearing the same. You're already starting <laughs> to hear the same things come out now about Giannis Antetokounmpo. Right. You know? And Giannis, I think more than anybody kind of understands that, you know, when he says, don't call me two-time MVP until I'm a champion. You yeah. know, it's it's obvious to him. He understands that these regular season accolades don't really matter if you can't even make the finals. Yeah, because he's growing up in an era where mm-hmm. we define legacies now solely right. by team accomplishment your individual right. standing is solely based off of a ring whereas some of us where i feel like you and i kind of agree austin is that mm-hmm. like the ring doesn't make you uh, a, a goat it doesn't make you um right. all a famer what it helps is whenever you're evaluating players of similar skills similar mm-hmm. level of accomplishment you have to have some way to delineate between the two like a mm-hmm. mj and a lebron and that's where i think the ring debate is helpful to some right. degree uh, it's, it's it's like that in every sport, you know, growing up, it was always Peyton Manning or Tom Brady, you know, personally mm-hmm. watching a game on the field, the terms of, you know, physical talent, throwing the ball for me, it's Peyton Manning all day. Yeah. Tom Brady is going to be the goat, no matter what you say, because he's got six rings mm-hmm. and, you know, he was a hell of a quarterback too, obviously, but of course, in, term, in terms of physical talents, there's hardly any comparisons to Giannis in terms of, of scoring ability. There's hardly any comparisons to James Harden. But mm-hmm. when there are, and when you're ranking the greatest of all time, it's a there's a very fine line, and you have to consider every little thing because mm-hmm. 
player A, B, and C can look almost identical. But if player A has three titles and player B never made the finals, it's not even close. Nope, you're not going to remember player C. Right. And Rajon Rondo is kind of, you know, the epitome of that. He turns it on every playoffs. He's got two rings now with the two premier franchises in the league. Mm-hmm. I think in overall terms of everything he's done for the game of basketball, his total story, you can even add in the narrative of him being a, a Celtic and a Laker of him and LeBron. Yeah. Like you said, it was not to me, it was not even just a rivalry. I felt like Rajon Rondo hated LeBron. Gen- it was a genuine disdain. Exactly. Yeah. And, Another thing too, he wasn't just a okay. He wasn't just not a three point shooter. He was a bad shooter at Correct. the beginning of his career altogether, and he shot fairly well this year, especially from three in the playoffs. Yeah. You know, he shot forty percent the last yeah, two, the, last two times yeah, he's been in the playoffs. Three or four, yeah. The last two times he's been in the playoffs, he shot over forty percent from three. You know, looking back at the the year he won a ring in Boston in 07, 08, You know, he was a a twenty five percent three point shooter. He only shot 42% on twos, and he was about 50% this year. So, mm-hmm. you know, he developed that part of his game, which was a big hole for a long time. Of I mean, course. I remember it, when he was with the big three, the, the defensive strategy was to not even really guard him outside of 15 feet and double on on Kevin Garnett or somebody else. Yeah. And, you know, he's he's filled those holes in his game. He doesn't really have any holes. He To me, he's the ultimate competitor. He's the ultimate teammate. He's one of the top guys I've ever remembered watching in terms of you'd hate him against you, but you'd love him if he was on your team. Yeah. And, uh, to me, I, I do think that he will end up in the hall of fame. Although I've kind of said that about every guy we've talked about so far. So, <laughs> well, and I mean, there's a reason why I'm bringing these guys up because right. I think that this does help their <laughs> hall of fame chances. But mm-hmm. as far as legacy compared to other guys, I think that that's where you could kind of get a little bit into a little bit better of a discussion. But we're yeah. going to get into basically our first young guy that we're going to talk about, and that's Anthony Davis right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's already he's already in conversations about being the best power forward of all time already. And uh, considering where he came from in New Orleans, considering the lack of playoff experience that he had, for him to come in year one, which uh, I talked about this last night, I give Kawhi Leonard a lot of praises because he went to Toronto in year one with Danny Green and uh, brought in Marc Gasol on a you know a midseason trade, and they and they worked it out with a brand new head coach in year one and won a title. The same mm-hmm. thing is happening with this LA Laker team right now. Um, Anthony Davis um, gets brought in for a boatload of assets, right? And um, was playing with LeBron and Rondo and Howard and all these other guys, right? Right. And they win in year one. It's an incredible feat. Like it hardly ever happens where you see in year one moves of this magnitude it hardly ever works out in year one usually it takes a year to get accustomed to one another and maybe add one more key piece and then in year two is where you see it come to fruition right Mm -hmm. i think anthony davis obviously will end up being a hall of famer this is not um i'm not bringing him up now to ask whether or not he'll be a hall of famer i think that it's abundantly clear that he will be Mm -hmm. um, based off of where he is now and based off of his stats and where he projects out to be things like that um where do you where do you have him already in terms of all-time power forwards based on him being obviously a very key piece? Uh, he was in, in discussion for finals MVP in his one time being in the finals. Where does where do you place him so far in your all-time power forward list? That's a good question. Um, well, I think the ring does a lot in terms of the narrative 
as far as all time greats, but I'm with you in that, you know, there's plenty of guys in the hall of fame that never want to ring mm-hmm. that the fact that he's got a ring already and he's got the statistical, you know, numbers that he has, it, it that, that's a, makes that an easy case. That's a done deal. Um, in terms of greatest power forwards of all time, he's definitely not above Tim Duncan. He's definitely, but not above Dirk. He's definitely not above Kevin Garnett. Carl um, Malone, uh, Charles Barkley, or a couple of the other names that you. Yep, I'm trying to think. I don't know. I think honestly, at this point, barring some major injury and saying that you know he just if he goes on to have the rest of the career that he he you know, portrait it looks like he's going to have, then I would put him right now if he never won another title, never won another or never won a scoring title. Um, I think he will win a defensive player of the year award, but he might have to win one or two of those to move up much or several more rings. But I, I would say probably fourth, fourth okay. or fifth. Um, he's definitely for me above Carl Malone. Um, I think Carl Malone, a lot of the big, the talk about him is, you know, that he's second all time in scoring, but he, points, played, correct. he played so long. He stat padded a lot towards the end of his career. Sure. Um, and, you know, he never won a ring. Granted, you know, he did have to go up against Michael Jordan. But at the end of the day, I, I do see the LeBron and Anthony Davis staying together and probably competing for a title for two or three more years at least. Um, so ultimately, I think right now he's he's pretty solid in the top five. Could he be the best power forward ever? Not unless he gets pretty close in terms of rings to Tim Duncan. I think Tim Duncan is is the best power forward of all time. Mm-hmm. I think the easiest one for him to pass is Kevin Garnett. Uh, Dirk too. I think he could. Um, you know, Dirk's up there in scoring too. But Anthony Davis kind of projects to be in that level of a scorer as well. I feel mm-hmm. like. And um, you know, if he had stayed in New in New Orleans and the Entire narrative of his career was, yeah, he was a monster. Yeah, he put up incredible numbers, but he never really led his team to much winning. Then this would be a lot different. But I think having a ring already at this point in his career, it takes an immense amount of pressure off of him in terms of where his all-time legacy ends up. So I I could see him being as high as number two, realistically, in my mind. Um he may, you know, he's got a lot, a lot of time yeah. left, depending on how everything goes. He could end up challenging for the number one spot, but that's going to take a lot of work. I think realistically, he could already be pretty close to number two. Yeah, and I don't think that you're way off because, I mean, he's 27 years old and, mm-hmm. and got his first ring. He's in Los Angeles, which is a fairly, you know, competitive market as far as uh, mm-hmm. being a free agent destination. Um, LeBron James is there endorse, endorsing the Lakers, so he's gonna, you know, some people are gonna want to come in and get their ring too mm-hmm. on this on this team on the cheap, and um, you know, who knows what's in the future for him? If he with this ring, to me, he's already up there with Dirk and already up there with Kevin Garnett as far as achievement wise, because you look at the mm-hmm. defensive teams, you look at the All NBA teams. He just made another first team this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I kind of put you on the spot and we don't have everybody's numbers in front of us. Right. But I'm already on that Kevin Garnett vibe right now. And, um, even if he, like you mentioned in new Orleans, if he never did anything and just like had great numbers and was, you know, just one of the best power forwards of his generation, but never won a ring. I'm Mm -hmm. feeling like a Charles Barkley type area, Mm -hmm. um, with him. So, but already at 27 years old for us to be, 
putting him in, in such rare air is, is crazy to me. He reminds me of so much of Kevin Garnett because he can do everything on the court. He can handle the ball. He can defend. He can shoot and, you know, rebound. That's everything that Kevin Garnett did, right? Um, I think right. that he's extremely versatile on both ends of the floor. And, and I liken him so much to Kevin Garnett for this generation. But Austin, for the last one, obviously, mm-hmm. we talked about LeBron James already. Um, winning this ring, winning another Finals MVP. Um, you already said that he's your goat. Um, how much further does this ring put him past Michael Jordan in your eyes? Can you quantify that, or does it just kind of cement that he? It's just more of what you already felt coming into the game. Um, personally, I don't know that it moves the needle in terms of how much further ahead of Michael Jordan that he is, because I don't know that he's is that I don't really feel and see it in those terms. Like mm-hmm. I don't see that he's head and shoulders way above Michael Jordan and he's not going to be unless he wins six rings. So it's a step in the right direction. Um, I just think, like I said, his overall total body of work, if you look in terms of who he's beaten, who he's played, yeah, he's lost six times, but other than mm-hmm. that 2011 finals, look who he lost to. Like yeah, the like you've said, arguably the greatest roster ever assembled, and then to do it in three different places. Michael Jordan stayed with the same team, three peated twice, retired in between. All that was great. He had the same coach and the same co-stars for all of that. He had continuity on that roster. While he did have a lot of moving parts, but the the important pieces were pretty much the same all the time. LeBron won with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. Then he won with. Kyrie and Kevin Love, and now he's one with Anthony Davis. You know, if he wins, if he goes back to back with the Lakers, I think that'll do more to really, you know, widen his lead. Um, if he ends up with six titles and six finals MVPs, then I'll be the first to say I don't think Jordan would come close to him at that point. Because okay. I don't think any Jordan has much over him other than the scoring titles are great. The scoring yeah. titles, he does have that, and I think, and obviously, he always will have that. But I think the only real argument that you can make at this point beyond that is six and zero versus now four and six, and the 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 more rings and the more Finals MVPs. If he ties Jordan while also going to twice as many Finals, uh, it, that just to me would be you know icing on the cake at that point. Like, and I think that's what he wants. I think he wants to leave no doubt in anyone's mind who the greatest player of all time is. And I think he's he's turned a lot of people towards that direction already thinking that way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of people like you that, you know, I respect your opinion and you're a logical NBA, you know, analyst and thinker. And, you know, what you say about him needing to win one more, I, I'm okay with that. That to me, you know, I can understand that. I think a lot of people kind of feel that way. But to say that there, he will never pass Michael Jordan and could never possibly be the GOAT is just, it's not realistic to me at this point. And, you know, people say he's not even the best player in the NBA anymore. And there was arguments that, you know, Kawhi was better than him at this point or Kevin Durant. And Kevin Durant did give him the business in the finals. You know, Kevin Durant at one point was and, probably the closest thing to being better. Look at it like this. And, you know, it does have a lot to do with the way they construct the roster about around what LeBron wants. But yep. when OKC lost Kevin Durant, what'd they do the next year? They made the playoffs. You know, when every team that LeBron has left, they've completely fallen off, you know, well, after that. 
there's there's kind of that whole like I mentioned earlier, like right. what he, and what I know he, that's that makes that makes a difference. But he he not only that the first time he went to Miami and they immediately make the finals four straight times. Then he leaves Miami. Miami doesn't you know falls off to an extent. I, I I don't know for sure that they didn't make the playoffs, but obviously not a contender for the title anymore. Mm-hmm. And he goes to a Cleveland team that's never gotten out of the first round immediately in the finals four more times. Correct. And then, yeah. he, then he leaves and Cleveland's a dumpster fire. Granted, everybody but left and Kevin Love was hurt. Yeah. Kyrie had left before him. And well, so, yeah, there, you know, there's extenuating him. circumstances, but I've yet to see, and we'll see it this next year. If Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving go make it to the NBA finals in their first year in, in Brooklyn, then, then we can talk. And it's uh, just, this discussion will be a little bit closer in my mind, sure. but I've never seen anything like it where a guy, wherever he goes, is automatically either the favorite or a contender for the title, the way LeBron is. And it's just, you know, he's the best player in the world. He's the best player alive currently, you know, active player, I mean. And to me, you know, this does a lot to change the narratives on social media and maybe, you know, shut some of the haters up for a little while, at least long enough to take a breath. But, sure. uh, in terms of overall real, you know, where he sits for me, and I think in a lot of people's minds, it does help, but I I don't think it it changed anything for me. He was already where he was. And yeah. I think five, six, and if ever somehow beyond that makes a lot more difference than four. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously alluded to this earlier. I've I felt that that one more, I think a repeat would would put him there for mm-hmm. me right now. Um it's still there are there are more than just the scoring titles that point in MJ's favor, you know, other than two three peats also, you know, being named the best defensive player in any year, like to me, I think that speaks to him both sides of the ball, right? When you can win MVP and defensive player of the year, like that's insane. And then also be finals MVP too. You know, that's just it, that's rare error, right? But I think that narrowing the gap in rings obviously does help. And uh, I don't want to dwell on this a whole lot because I know that this conversation has been out there much specifically with LeBron. I felt like it would be, you know, a healthy mental exercise to see like where our standings would be with like how we mentioned coach uh, Spolstra, Jimmy Mm -hmm. Butler, Dwight Howard, Rajon Rondo, and where Anthony Davis already stacks up as, as far as, uh, you know, all time power forwards already at 27 years old is nuts. Hey, but, um, real, real quick about that. You were, we were talking about having the numbers in front of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, currently all-time Anthony Davis's points per game is 22nd. And of all the guys we talked about, Carl Malone is the only one ahead of him, and it's by less than a point per game. And um, really the only other power forward that's even up there is uh, Bob Pettit, who averaged yeah. almost 27 a game. He's like ninth all, eighth all-time. So, you know, he's already above in terms of, game averages all those guys we really talked about so it's and not leaving anything off on the defensive side of the ball either right and a lot of people say he should have been the defensive player of the year this year yeah and you can even look and you know you know that i disagreed with that right but um there's obviously a a a case to that Mm -hmm. uh but ultimately you know adding a ring looking at those points per games you could imagine even moving forward with this lakers team that his points per game may go up, you know, because right. even though LeBron James still looks like LeBron James a little bit, you have to think at some point he's going to, mm-hmm. you know, decrease. I think, I think LeBron James wants Anthony Davis to take that role and be the leading scorer and be the 30 point a game cl- or close to a guy that I think a lot of people think he could be every night. 
Yeah, because that saves LeBron James for, you know, to exert all of his effort in the playoffs, <laughs> right? So maybe give you, you know, every fifth game he comes out and has a big LeBron James, you mm-hmm. know, defining game. But, you know, it. I think that is extremely possible. I'm looking forward to this offseason and moving forward, we're going to do a bunch of great shows as far as, you know, the draft and, um, you know, who went where and who who we like coming into the next year. But um, Austin, this was a great episode. I really appreciate appreciate you coming on. Yeah. And, uh, going through this uh, with us here. Yeah, man. As, as always, always, as always, it's, it's always a good day when I get to link up with you, man, and talk for shop. Sure. But um, before we close out, do you got anything that you want to kind of promote for Game Change? Sports yeah, I just, uh, I just posted an article this morning about, you know, a little recap of the whole season and uh, how, you know, in my personal opinion, if you're going to put an asterisk in a record book next to this year, you have to, that asterisk better be because it was arguably the toughest title to win. And, you know, you can say what you want about the bubble being pick up basketball or mm-hmm. lack of travel or no fans. But at the end of the day, the Lakers were the number one seed. They got the home court advantage taken away from them. Yeah. And, you know, and at the end of the day, overcoming, especially the fact that the Lakers won this title, overcoming the loss of Kobe Bryant in the middle of the season, overcoming a pandemic, overcoming a four month shutdown, overcoming, overcoming the social injustice issues, having f- almost four months locked in a bubble away from your home. And yeah, for part of that time, their families were allowed to be there, but I don't think LeBron had his whole family there. He might've, um, uh, but regardless, you know, you don't have your your friends or your your network around you, your support system. You know, you can't go home and sleep in your own bed and all and that. you're playing stuff. every other night. You're playing every right. two days. Right. There's no rest. You know, there's no back to backs, but there's no rest. Mm-hmm. There's no travel, but there's a day off in between every game. That's it. And everybody's focused on basketball. You know, there's no real distractions. So. I personally feel that uh, this is arguably the the toughest title to, that's ever been won, the hardest season ever to win a championship. It doesn't mean it counts any more than any other, um, but it's just kind of the counterpoint to the idea that this was easier because it was, you know, hard scrimmages, I think, as Scottie Pippen called it or, you know, anything like that. Yeah, well, and Scottie Pippen has definitely said some things that kind of leave his – credibility as anything other than just being a hall of fame basketball mm-hmm. player kind of up in the air you know um yeah. he's and a lot of guys that's all they really should their credibility should be because like we talked about last time these guys are the most competitive people in the world they always have been it doesn't change when they retire they're still competitive and they're always going to say oh my era was tougher or find some reason why this wasn't as hard as what they did or this wasn't as great as what they did because yeah. in their mind they always have to be the best and Isaiah Thomas will not even say Michael Jordan in a conversation about being the greatest of all time. It's it's so just petty and, and ridiculous. It's it's great though. I love watching it. Yeah, because I mean, just like anybody else, you know, players have an agenda and they right. want to push a certain narrative that helps exactly. their cause or their their era as opposed to what we're actually witnessing now, right? So mm-hmm. um Good talk, good conversation, and I'm sure that we're going to ha- kind of have more of these moving forward. Um, for you watching now or later, and those of you listening now or later, really appreciate the support. Really appreciate, um, you know, Robbie coming in and saying what's up, my buddy Drake. Yeah, I love that. I, I appreciate all the comments. That made it a lot of fun. 
Absolutely. Yeah. It keeps us going. And that's, and that's what we do this for. Um, the show, you know, is going to be available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BTG NBA pod. There we go. And, um, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a good time. Really appreciate all the, the love and support. Go check out all the great stuff that Austin and his colleagues are doing at Game Change Sports Network. Check out all that I'm doing and my colleagues are doing at OffTheBallNetwork.com. And uh, we will catch up with you guys next time. Much love, everybody. Have a good one.